we don't uh, talk a lot about money, even though it is a subject that the Bible does have a lot to say. Now, I haven't counted this, but uh, some have estimated that money is mentioned over 800 different times in Scripture. Jesus, just for example, in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, while he may not have addressed uh, you know, management ways, that wasn't the point, but in the Sermon on the Mount, when he talks about possessions and needs, uh, and he uses finances and, monies to, and money and our needs uh, for food and shelter and clothing, he uses those to illustrate our dependency on God. You remember in Matthew 6, 21, he says, where your treasure is, that is where your, what? Heart is as well. And so through the years, in growing up, as I said, in churches, I've, I've come to uh, learn more and more about God's Word through and giving and what God teaches. Now, let's just make sure we're all on the same page uh, that our God is a generous, giving God. John 3.16, for God, what? So loved the world, He gave. God is a giving God. God is generous, uh, giving His only begotten Son. And God, the Word of God teaches us that if we are going to be conformed to Christ, then we need to be conformed to that image. And that includes, as Paul would write in uh, 1 Timothy 6.18, that we are to be people who are generous and ready to share. You remember the hallmark of the early church in Acts chapter 2, as you read towards the conclusion there at the end of chapter 2, it says, and all those who had needs, that need was met within the body. And people readily gave and sold of, of items and shared with one to another of anybody that had needs within the church and in the body. That was something. It was a generous church. It was marked by generosity. And so as I've... Uh, uh, kind of grown and learning and, and tried to, and I'm still trying to be a good steward that's uh, uh, just ongoing and trying to be a wise steward in finances, uh, then, I, you know, essentially I want to be known as a generous person. I want to have a generous spirit, and I believe you do as well. But what does, when we talk about Scripture, there's different angles and different ways that historically the church has looked at giving and finances and one of the ways that I was raised and taught, and I assume that many of you who were in church, that there was great emphasis in teaching about the tithe. Now, the tithe, that, that's 10%. We'll talk about that in a little bit. The 10% of your income, the tithe. But is the tithe really, um, as, as we kind of examine the New Testament, is that where the weight is concerning our understanding of what should motivate us or should be the, the standard by which we give. Is that, is that now that we are, and I'll use some terms that maybe I think most of you are familiar with, but some of you, they may be new, and, and I can't elaborate too much on it, but we are new covenant people. We are in a new covenant as a result of the cross. So how are we to gauge and look at what it means to be a generous giver in light of the new covenant. The new covenant inaugurated with the uh, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. You remember we, uh, at the Lord's Supper, Jesus uh, said, this is a covenant in my blood, you know, through, his, through the cross. Uh, that's what we talk about, that we are under the new covenant. So what I'm going to do is I just want to kind of challenge you a little bit, maybe provoke uh, your thinking a little bit. Somebody said that 
All preaching should afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted. So I'm not sure exactly where you might fall into that, but I want to kind of provoke you a little bit, challenge you, and as I always say, I want you to be a Berean. You know, we get that from Acts chapter 17 of those Christians at Berea that, that evaluated what Paul taught them and checked him out with the Scripture. And I want to kind of just challenge you a little bit. I don't want to upset anybody, but I'm going to kind of say some things that may be different. Maybe you've, never, maybe you've not heard uh, some of this before, and I would just ask you to listen, look at your Bibles, and, uh, and be open and be teachable. And this morning, I want to look at two parts of today's message, and some that I'm going to have to kind of go through rather quickly and not delve into some of the details, even though I want to, but uh, just won't have time. Otherwise, uh, I'll be here by myself. And, uh, but there's two parts. I want to look at uh, the tithe in Scripture and understand that, and then compare that to what the New Testament teaches about giving. So first off, let me, uh, let's look at the tithe. And the tithe, I believe it is God's standard of giving from the past, and I'm going to explain that in a little bit. The tithe, and uh, uh, there's a very specific understanding. Now, in your, uh, if you see your envelope, we use the word tithe. A lot of times, I'll use the word tithe, and you might use tithe too. That just you, that means you're giving. You're, you, you know, you kind of use it in a generic sense when you say, "Well, my tithe," um, and uh, you're just really, you might say, offering or give. But that's just kind of our vernacular. We say the tithe. And that's kind of the way I use it, and that's the way, you know, we, we have it on there. But, uh, but the tithe has a very specific definition in Scripture. It isn't just a generic term that means giving. It's very specific. And so I have a little definition up there in case uh, you're not sure. But the tithe speaks of one-tenth of a person's goods whether agricultural or monetary, that is set aside or dedicated to God. So a tithe is a tenth, okay? That's what it means. Tithe means a tenth. Like Sabbath. Sabbath is not another word for Sunday. Sabbath means seventh. It's very specific. It's the seventh day of the week. It's not just Sunday. So tithe is very specific. Tithe means 10%. You have $10, and you were to tithe from that $10, you tithe a dollar, okay? You get, the, you get the idea. A tithe in Scripture, uh, when I want to, uh, 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 and actually I just realized I got my pages out of order. That's why I'm kind of staring at them thinking, wait a minute, I shouldn't be there yet. Uh, there we go. All right, got them mixed up. One of the things, as I said, that has brought a lot of confusion is giving in general in the American Christian community. You have maybe you were exposed or were in a church where uh, tithing was taught, and maybe you were taught this concept of tithing that uh, from Malachi 3.10. That's always the go-to verse when you talk about tithing. You know the verse in Malachi 3.10 where it speaks about bringing the whole tithe into the storehouse. I was raised in a church where they taught storehouse giving. You tithe 
and, uh, and tithing was kind of right up there with salvation and witness. You know, I mean, it was just, it was the, you know, it was the non-negotiable, all right? That was taught. And I don't, I'm not saying that necessarily in a bad way because, again, I think in the attempt to teach stewardship and giving uh, that there was certainly right motive there. But unfortunately, uh, things kind of get skewed or sometimes you might be uh, watching somebody on TV and uh, maybe a, a teacher or, or uh, on Christian ministry, which I don't watch anymore, but you might watch them. And again, it's interesting that they always want to tie in your prosperity and blessing to giving to their ministry, right? So, so giving in general kind of gets skewed, and especially when you hear of churches. I just, you know, there's a church, uh, you know, a big mega church here in Florida. I never heard of it, so you probably haven't either, where one of the pastors was fired on staff. Because he was stealing money. And I don't mean like some, I mean literally putting his hand in the offering and they caught him stealing money from their, from their Christmas Eve service, right? And he apparently had been doing this for a while. And you hear that and you're like, well, I'm not doing that. I'm gonna, I know all those church folks are crooks and all they want is my money and blah, blah, blah. Uh, so people get kind of a distorted view. But the tithe in its very narrow sense referred to the tenth that was commanded and given to Israel as the means that God, the standard of giving that God had established. Now, when we talk about the standard of giving of the past, let me just review this really quick. When I talk about the past, and I referred to it a little bit earlier, I'm talking about before the new covenant, before the cross, all right, uh, that in light of what God has done in Christ, uh, his dealings with us, humanity, Israel, all those things have changed. All those things have changed. He operates now based on the new covenant uh, that he has established. Hebrews 12, 24. It's not on the screen, but it speaks about Jesus as a mediator of a new covenant. talks about a better covenant. So we're on this side of the cross. He's no longer dealing with his people. I mean, when I say his people, uh, I'm not saying the Jewish people aren't his people, but I'm saying God's purpose and program right now is that God is operating and dealing through what we might would call the church. I'm not necessarily talking about grace. I'm talking about the church of, of Jesus Christ, those who believe in, in the the virgin birth, I mean, believe in all the central tenets of the gospel. He is operating through the church. That is how God is operating. So he's not operating his purpose and present through the nation of Israel. Doesn't mean he doesn't have a purpose and a plan for Israel, but it means right now he is operating and deals with us based upon the new covenant, not the law of the old covenant. That's not the basis by which God is working uh, things in and through the affairs of the church. It's not based on the law of the old covenant. Read the book of Hebrews. That's what that whole thing is all about, that God has a new covenant, okay, based upon Christ. And so if you don't make that distinction when you talk about something that is anchored in the Old Testament law, it'll get confusing. Just like I said, for example, people get confused about the Sabbath, but if you don't understand what the Sabbath and how that was a very specific 
uh, uh, term and what that ha- that's placed in the Old Testament, you'll carry that over to the New, and you'll be confused about what all that means. So with that being said, the command to tithe was a command under the law of the Old Covenant. It was a standard. It was the standard that God gave his people by which to give. Now, I believe, my conviction is, uh, I'll just say up front, that the tithe, not giving. Oh, pastor said we don't have to give anymore. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about tithe. My wife says, you just, be, you just want to be controversial today. No, I just, I just want us to be good students of Scripture. Is that all right? And I want you to get in the Word and, and, uh, and learn for yourself. But I don't believe that the tithe, in that, in that def- definitive sense, is the standard by which we as New Covenant believers are to judge our giving or our generosity. And I'm going to give you some reasons here. In fact, I'll give you seven reasons. How about that? But I'm going to go through these really quick. Tithing, as I've alluded to, was a part of the law of Moses, and Christians today are not under the law. Okay, Tithing was part of the law of Moses, but Christians today are not under the law. It doesn't mean that we are to be lawless. Okay, but uh, 1 Corinthians 9, 20 and 21 talks about that we are under the law of Christ, okay? It's not the law under Moses. Now, when you understand the law of God, you understand there's three components to the law. There's the moral law, there's the civil law, and there's the ceremonial law. The civil law, the ceremonial law, those were things that very specifically had to do with how Israel regulated itself as a nation. Civil law regarding um, its, its laws, you know, uh, uh, property, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, ceremonial laws of the temple and the rituals of the sacrifice, all those type of things. Those things have been done away with. The moral law, uh, adultery, uh, stealing, uh, what else? Murder. That's a good one. Murder. That's bad. Uh, adultery. All the, those are those moral laws. Those remain, okay? So in one sense, the moral, because those reflect the moral character of God. That does not change. But the ceremonial, the civil laws change. Why? Because God is not operating through Israel as his primary means by which he is uh, communicating and establishing his purpose and will upon the earth. He is operating through Christ. That is exactly what Hebrews 1, verse 1 and 2 is all about, all right? All right? He, in various times, in various ways, God spoke to his people in the past through the prophets, but in these latter days, he has spoken to us. And when you read that in the Greek, there's a finality. He has spoken to us finally in his son, Jesus Christ, all right? So Jesus Christ is the new standard for our whole life, okay? Are we you kind of with me in that, right? All right, all right. So when you come to the tithe of the Old Testament, uh, and, and I don't want to get off into the weeds there that some people see it as, well, it preceded the law with Abraham and Jacob and Abraham tithe the Melchizedek, but you never see a command that they were to do that. But, but if, if all we had was looking at those things, somebody might could make an argument and say, well, we should do that. But it really, you don't find it when you look at the New Testament. And I believe the New Testament 
brings clarification to the old. New Testament is a greater revelation than the old because it brings clarity and explains what the old meant and is all about, okay? So when we come to the New Testament, just like Sabbath keeping, just like circumcision, all those things are not requirements that are carried over into the New Covenant, all right? There's a second reason, is that tithing in the Old Testament was an involuntary, involuntary, means you had to do it, it was an involuntary tax to support Israel, the nation of Israel. Christians today are not part of Israel. There is not a theocratic kingdom of the nation of Israel with the kings and priests and laws and all. That is not what we are under, okay? We are in the kingdom of God. We are under the reign of Christ, all right? God is not operating uh, there will be a day, I believe, that God will return back and operate through Israel, but we're not there. We're, he's functioning and operating big picture, kingdom of God, little picture through the church, all right? So therefore, we, there's no need to provide a tax system is what the tithe was to provide for the needs. The taxing or the tithe was a tax. Some of you already start to think about your income taxes right now, Right? All right, you're, you're waiting to get all the paper and all the things. You start to think about income taxes. This was a tax, and it primarily was to do two things. It was to help meet the needs of the poor, but it was also to fund the Levites. Who were the Levites? They were the clergy, if you will, of Israel. All right? So the tithe was a taxation system. Now, this is what's interesting. A lot of people don't realize. And we say, well, I, I tithe 10%. But when you look at, in the Old Testament, when you look under the law, there was at least two, maybe three tithes that Israel was required to give. It wasn't just the 10. It wasn't just the 10%. If you add on the additional tithes, and this is something other people have brought out. I found this from uh, Charles Ryrie in one of his books. But it, it would, could be as high as 22 to 25%. So I want to start implementing that tithe. I'm going to start implementing that. Our income would just go through the... Boy, no, I don't think so. Um, but if you, so if you, want to, if you want to hold on to the tithe, don't just hold on to the 10. Hold on to the whole thing because it's much more than that. Thirdly, tithing... And to me, this is very persuasive. Tithing is not mentioned in any of the instructions to the church, although much is said about giving, and we'll talk about that in a minute. I find, and I've used this uh, before, and, and it's not going to be on your screen, so just uh, kind of just make a note of it. But in Acts chapter 15 is a very pivotal event in the early church. It's called the Jerusalem Council. Uh, when the gospel was going forth into Antioch, into Gentile, you know, that's non-Jews, and they were getting saved, that created an issue back at the home church in Jerusalem among the elders. What do we do with these people? I mean, they eat pork chops and barbecue, and they smell, and they, you know, some of them got saved, and they got a couple of wives, and they're doing crazy stuff. I mean, man, we need to get them, we need to get them constrained by the law. I mean, this was a big problem. First of all, Jews culturally hated Gentiles. And when they became Christians, they still struggled with it. If you were in Romans on Wednesday, Paul, Steve talked, uh, talked us through a lot of those 
issues. Well, we say, look, we can't hate them, guys, right? That, that's not an option. So what do we do? How do we integrate? Do we make these Gentiles, these non-Jews, do we make them become Jews before they can enter into the church? So even though they're in Christ, they're not there yet. Because they need to become Jews, that means men circumcise and come under the dietary laws and the ceremonial, all those things. And the elders and the apostles, they rejected that. You know why? Because Christ and Christ alone was sufficient. Because to do that, they were adding works, they were adding something, and they only gave them two requirements. Remember they sent them back, was it Paul and... Silas, and they wrote a letter from the, from the apostles there in Jerusalem, and they only had two requirements, told them to, um, uh, what did they tell them? I wrote it down here. <laughs> yeah, all right, abstain from sexual immorality, all right, okay? Guys, you got to straighten up. You can't be doing that stuff anymore, all right? Tell them to abstain from sexual, because in the pagan cultures, there was no moral restraints. They had no, you know. And then they said, don't eat meat sacrificed to idols. That was, that, was a, uh, that was a consideration to their Jewish brethren. If you know anything about the latter part of Romans, you know that was a big issue. But essentially, they just said, you're in Christ, you're our brothers. They didn't say anything. Oh, by the way, here's a pamphlet on the tithe. And there's another chapter on keeping the Saturday Sabbath. They didn't tell him any of that. Don't you think if it was that big of a deal and the weightiness, don't you think those would have been good times to tell and instruct them into the law and what they need to keep? I think that would make sense, right? All right. You're waiting for me to pick that up, I know. <laughs> Number four, and this is not persuasive just by itself, but for this tithing is not mentioned in any of the writings of the early church fathers. I only say it this way for this reason. The church fathers is a term that is used for those that were, we could say, disciples of the apostles. So when John and Peter and Paul, when they died, kind of those that followed after them and that they had put an establishment as pastors and leaders, some, they are oftentimes referred to as church fathers. That's that, that's that second generation of leaders in the church. They don't say anything about tithing. And if tithing, again, what are we talking? We're not talking about giving. We're talking about the specific law requirement that you got to keep that tenth. If that was something that was fundamental, don't you think that that would be in their writings and something as they gave instruction to churches of how to operate and function and, and order their churches? Don't you think that would have been something that they would have mentioned? But there's nothing there. Tithing, number five, puts the wrong emphasis on giving. Oftentimes, tithing, not through everybody, not everybody, but I'm just saying in, in one sense, it can emphasize an obligation to God that sometimes is an obligation devoid of the heart. Well, I gave my 10%. Check that box off, right? I paid my dues. And so sometimes the tithe, because of its legality basis, can almost make our relationship to God more of a legal transaction 
than heart relationship of what the New Testament puts its weight on. All right? All right? Tithing, six, leads or, or illustrates a false concept, or I should say a false baseline of stewardship. It, it almost suggests that, you know, God's only concerned about the 10, and I can do whatever I want to with the 90. Well, here's a newsflash. It's all his. I, you know, one time I was teaching this to my kids, and we were, you know, at McDonald's, and I had fries there, and I was saying, okay, uh, they asked me about tithing. And I'll be honest with you, I taught my kids, because I think sometimes that's okay. That's, there's nothing wrong teaching them how to become stewards and use their money, so don't get... Don't get extreme on me, I'm talking about tithing or not talking about it. But I said, all these fries, and I, I, you know, I showed them there. I said, okay, here's what a tenth is of, of the fries. And I said, so here, I'm going to give you, a, or, or no, you give, me, you give me a tenth. And okay, out of those ten, they gave me one fry. Now, here's something they didn't know, maybe they knew. Those are all my fries. <laughs> I could grab them by the hand and cram them in my mouth, and not th- I wouldn't lose sleep over it. They're all mine. All those fries are mine. They're not giving me anything. You with me? It's all God. And so sometimes we put emphasis instead of that it's all belong to God. Now here's one that, number seven, the last one, just tithing is burdensome for some and easy for others. If a man with a family of five makes $20,000 a year and ties, he's got $18,000 apart from taxes to support five people. And I don't know if that's going to happen, right? If a childless couple makes hundred grand a year and they tithe and they have $90,000 apart from taxes to support just two people, guess what? It's probably not going to be any big deal. But to some, it's a big deal. And unfortunately, in the church in general, and with our emphasis, again, heart motive is important here. I believe in most cases, with exceptions, the emphasis saying, look, we want you to learn to be stewardship, have good stewardship of God. And so you're trying to teach people how to make use of their monies and their resources, right? But at times, we can layer such guilt on people because they just can't do it. They just can't do it. All right. So tithing was God's standard in the past. That's my story, and I'm sticking to it, all right? But, but so now, what is God's standard for giving? And I think this, to me, I hope this encourages you. Secondly, is grace generosity God's standard of giving for the present? Okay? The tithe was God's standard of giving of the past, but God still wants you to be generous and to be a giver. As I said, the New Testament's not silent on that. In fact, it's quite abundant. But grace generosity, God's standard of giving, that's for the present. And we want to unpack that a little bit. Generous grace giving is the New Testament standard, I believe, under the New Covenant, under the believers today, in the church, all right? It's not the Old Testament tithe. You just don't see it there. Now, sometimes when you talk about grace, people have a mindset of grace as just kind of an anything-goes kind of grace. You know, just grace is kind of like, well, you know, we're under grace. 
Well, you know, we're under grace. Kind of sloppy agape, all right? You know, we just, we just, we just kind of use it as a, as a get-out-of-jail card, right? Well, that's not a biblical definition of grace, all right? That didn't, that's foreign. Uh, Paul was accused of that mindset, but it's, and grace is not the balance between legalism or licentiousness. Now, have you used that word this week, licentiousness? I'm using that on purpose because it has a really specific meaning that it means to just lack any moral or legal restraints. It's kind of the anything goes mindset. That's what licentiousness is. Or you have legalism over here, and we think grace is just kind of the mediator between the two. No, legalism and being a licentious person are two sides of the same coin. You know why? Because it's all flesh. It's all flesh. Grace doesn't have any role in any of that. So that's not what we're talking about. Legalism is an attempt to earn standing with God. Paul deals with that in Galatians. Licentiousness is that mindset that casts all restraint off. As I said, you know, we're all under grace. There's no restraints. I mean, listen, guys, I have seen some of the most crazy stuff out there to where people under the name of being Christian have advocated this extreme, I don't even want to use the word grace because that's not what it is, that somehow you don't have to be committed to a single married partner because we're not under the law. And I'll just leave it, you can just figure it goes downhill from there. Because they are totally, you know, again, it's all the fulfillment of the flesh. So with that, let me explain what I believe grace giving is not. This is, this is not, what when we talk about generous grace giving, this is not what it means. All right? Grace giving is not random and irresponsible. It doesn't mean just every now and then. When you got some change in your pocket from Wawa, you wanted to drink, and you got, oh, I got a little money in my pocket to throw in and give it to God. That's not, that's not what we're talking about. It's not a random and irresponsible way to giving. Give you two examples. 1 Corinthians 16.2. It says in 1 Corinthians 16.2, on the first day of every week, Paul's instructing them. He doesn't use the tithe as a baseline. doesn't even mention it. He says, on the first day of every week, which is what? Sunday. It's not the Sabbath. It's Sunday. The Lord's Day. You know in your bulletin, I intentionally put the Lord's Day by the date. The Lord, because that's what the biblical definition, this is the Lord's Day. That's what it's referred to in Scripture, all right? So on the first day of every week, Sunday, that shows you when was the church gathering? On the Sabbath? No. They were gathering on Sunday. First day of the week, the resurrection of Christ. He says, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper, so that there will be no collecting when I come. Paul didn't want them all running around, running back home to get their checkbooks, right? He says, look, plan ahead of time. Take something, set it aside, so when I come... You've, what? This is not irresponsible randomness. This is an intentionality of giving. On the first day of the week, you set something aside, you store it up, and you, you take care of it. So when I'm there, 
You know what he's saying? So when I'm there, we're not killing time by administratively taking the offering. Isn't that what he says? So there'll be no collecting when I come. Are y'all reading your Bibles? You got, all right, the book of Moroni, I hope you don't know, you know, all right? You look into your Bibles, all right? Look at the scripture on the wall, all right? Look at verse, look at 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Again, grace giving is not random or irresponsible. 2 Corinthians 9, 7, Paul says again to this church, second letter, each one must give, that's a command, as he has what? Decided in his heart. Not reluctantly or under compulsion. But what does it say? Decided in their heart, not under compulsion. But he says, look, I mean, to me, I love the simplicity. Each one, you decide in your heart. Wouldn't it have been easier to Paul to say, by the way, refer you to Malachi don't rob God. Does he say anything about that? He doesn't say anything about that. He says, for God loves what? A cheerful giver. Secondly, grace, generous grace giving is not based on feelings. It's not based on feelings. We walk by faith and obedience to the commands that are under grace, the word of God. That's not what we're talking about. It's not, thirdly, I don't believe that grace, generosity, really, this is where, this is the catch. People think, whoo, man, I'm out of that 10%. Actually, uh, I don't think so. It's actually probably more. But it's not a percentage. You see, I believe that grace, generosity... If the old covenant was 10%, everything in the new covenant is greater. Isn't that what the book of Hebrews? Christ is greater than the angels. He's greater than the prophet. It means everything's bigger and greater. So if the 10 was the Old Testament standard, why would the new covenant be any less than that? As, again, not compulsion and not even as a requirement, but just, again, as a, as a means by which you begin to Decide in your own heart your own stewardship goals. It should motivate us, grace should motivate us to give more than just a legality requirement. Fourth, grace generosity is not giving God the leftovers. He deserves first place. Colossians 1.18 says, In all things, Christ deserves preeminence, the first place. The concept, the good, wonderful concept about the tithe was that it was a, it was a portion right off the top to honor God. It, again, all the fries belong to Him. You're just saying, God, this represents it all is to you. And I'm giving my first fruits, all right? And I'm not giving you the burned fries. I'm giving you the good stuff. I'm giving you the top, the top. I'm giving you the best because that is what honors and glorifies you. So grace giving doesn't mean we just kind of throw it out there and give sloppily. No, we should excel and to give it. I, I, did, I was going to skip this, 1 Corinthians 15, 10. Look at how the grace of God didn't uh, make Paul go backward. It made him go forward. 
But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and His grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them. Though it was not I, but what? The grace of God that is with me. See, grace doesn't motivate you to be lazy or slothful. Fourthly, or giving God, uh, we don't give God the leftovers. But let me tell you what grace giving is. All right, give me a few minutes, and we'll go through these quickly. That's what grace giving is not. But let me encourage you by this, what grace giving is and what it's based on. And I've alluded to this. I won't spend a lot of time with this. Grace giving is based upon, number one, the, God's example in Christ. Christ is the standard. You with me? Christ is the standard. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that, by, so that you by his poverty might become rich. He's not talking about material richness. He's talking about, again, the richness of eternal life. Christ, Philippians 2, laid aside the splendor and privileges. Uh, he didn't become less God, but he laid aside those things in, in, in the language of Philippians 2. He took on human flesh. He took on the limitations of literally in, in poverty. But he didn't do those to be to somehow that we can go out and, and become financially abundant. He did those that we might enjoy the riches of his grace and his mercy that he gave his life for. So the standard, here's what I want you to hear. The standard under the new covenant is not the law of Moses. That's what the tithe was a part of. The tithe was a part of the law. That is not the standard. What's the standard? Listen, aren't you glad God didn't just give 10% to save us? How would that work out? Christ gave all. What's the requirement of the new covenant believer? We give all. It's all. All belongs to him. All belongs to him. John 1.17, I quoted this earlier, for the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And, and let me just say this, it's not because that somehow, sometimes we can fall into this, you know, where we say, Lord, you gave all to me and I want to give back to you and, and that is a good heart thing, but don't let it become a debtor's prayer. Don't let, you're not, you can't pay back God. It's not a debtor's motivation. Well, you've done so much, so oh, I've got to do this. To, no. Why do I do it? Because of the abundance of love and grace that God has bestowed on me. I, I just, you know, I, I do it as an expression of my gratitude. It's grace, gratitude, giving. Matthew 22, 37, that we are, Jesus said we are to love God with all our heart, soul, and mind. Grace-based giving, secondly, uh, is reminds us of what true biblical stewardship is. Remember, what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians, a lot of Corinthian stuff here, which is interesting. But Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, he says that you are not your own, for you are bought with a price. Who do you belong to? Who owns you? God. He owns you. He owns your stuff. He owns, you're, you're, you're just a manager. You're a steward of everything that belongs to him. You're a manager of his resources. One scripture that the uh, prosperity folks love to quote is Deuteronomy 8.18, 8, 
where it says, for I've given you power to get wealth. Right? But read the rest of the verse. So that I might establish my covenant through you. God has given you the means to have a good job, to be a good steward. Why? Because he wants to be able to trust you to funnel monies to the advancement of his kingdom. He wants you to fund through the means of seeing churches planted. He wants you to to fund the means through the church that God has established where people are assisted and helped. He wants to bless you. Why? So you can hoard and get more stuff and get more in debt? No, no, no. He wants to be able to funnel more for his kingdom agenda. Read all of Deuteronomy 8.18. Also, grace giving is based not on a legal standard of the Old Testament covenant, but it's based upon an inner motivation, not an outward compulsion. Uh, just look it with me, at, it'll be on the screen, 2 Corinthians 8. I want you to know something here. For they gave, he's talking about the Macedonian believers that gave. Listen to what he says about them. For they gave according to their means. They weren't under some compulsion for a percentage. They gave what they could. Isn't that what it says? According to their means. So as I can testify, in fact... Some of them gave beyond their means. It doesn't say some of them, but beyond their means. Of their own accord. Begging us. I have pastored for 35, 40. I have never, ever had anybody begging me to give. What does that tell you about that kind of church? Begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. He's talking about the collection that was made by these Gentiles that was sent back to Jerusalem to help them because they were in dire financial uh, 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 need because of the persecution and because of other things that the church was getting the squeeze by the officials that they, these Gentiles, these godless Gentiles, gave of their money and resources to do what? To bless these Jewish believers in Jerusalem. And he says they begged for the opportunity to give. They, and I, look at verse 5. Don't miss that. And this is the key. This is the key to everything. He said, And they gave themselves first to the Lord. You see, sometimes God's not after your wallet. He wants your heart. Because if He has your heart, your wallet will follow. He wants you to give all of yourself. It isn't so much, How much do I have to give? but how much can I give? Don't you want to be there when there's a need? You can, you, can, you can give generously to a need. A brother or sister is in need of the church. There's a need for, I know John Hanley, and I'm sure in uh, cups of cold water, the missions down in the Dominican. Uh, you know, there's needs. You know, I don't, John still uh, needs a van, needs a vehicle. Wouldn't it be nice if somebody in the church is here? Tell him to go buy what he wants. I'd like to do that. I'd like to do that. I think that'd be great. I'd love to do that. I can't do it when I'm so filled up with my own stuff and I'm, I'm literally, the Bible speaks about debt as like bondage. It's bondage. 
Grace giving is based, fourthly, we have a new relationship with the Holy Spirit and we're not under the old dispensation of the law. You see, the Spirit of God dwells believers. The basis is the new covenant. Paul said in Galatians 5.18, but if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. We have a relationship that is Spirit-led, Spirit-motivated. God wants you to be led by the Holy Spirit, not under some compulsion. Fifth, grace-giving is based on how much God has blessed you. We call that proportional giving. Don't you see that in the New Testament? You don't see them using a scale of the law. It, they gave what they could. They gave what was their means. They, why? Because they were being led by the Spirit. Some maybe gave 20, 30, 40%. Some maybe only gave 2%. The point was their heart was desirous to do their best for God and it wasn't based upon whether they got a percentage and they were being compelled by the law because they were free in Christ and they were being motivated by the Spirit of God. I'll give you some examples. 1 Corinthians 16, 2. All of these are, all of these, I already read 16, 2, but let me uh, skip to Acts eleven twenty nine. These are the New Living Translation. So the believers in Antioch, that's Gentiles, non-Jews, decided... Here's the context of what Paul was writing in 2 Corinthians. So the believers in Antioch decided to send relief to the brothers and sisters in Judea, everyone giving as much as they could. 2 Corinthians 8.3, Paul says, For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more, for they did it out of their own free will. Another way of saying they gave what they could Sometimes God wants you to give sacrificially, and guess what? That might be more than 10%. Are you open to doing that? Are you open to that money you've set aside to take that vacation? And the Holy Spirit prompts you to take those funds and give it all to a need? Not because somebody compelled you. Not because somebody put pressure on you. The Holy Spirit led you to do it. And guess what? You don't want anybody. Some of you, I know for a fact, because I've facilitated your clandestine giving, you have given monies to a specific need in the church, and you were very specific. You did not want them to know where it came from. See, that happens a lot in this church. There's a lot that goes on. You see, that's a kingdom mindset that we need. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And by the way, that's in the context of knowing where you're going to sleep, what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat. That's in the context of meeting my needs. You want to grab and chase after this stuff? Jesus says, whoa, tap the brakes. Seek first the kingdom of God, his priorities, and all these things will be what? Added unto you. See, that's a whole different mindset than a compulsion of the law. You see, Jesus is concerned about your heart. He, in Mark 12, he commended the poor widow who gave out of her poverty, and he wasn't too impressed by the rich people that gave all the money. He commended the one whose heart was right before God. There's a preacher who's trying to motivate his people to give. 
and he was preaching, and he got really excited. And the preacher said, if this church, if this church is ever going to go anywhere, it's got to learn to crawl. It's got to learn to crawl. And the people, they were real responsive. They said, yeah, Reverend, let it crawl. Let it crawl. He said, you know, if this church really wants to go to the next level after it crawls, it's got to walk. They said, yeah, preacher, let it walk. Reverend, let it walk. And he got really excited. He said, you know, after this church learns to crawl and it starts walking, this church needs to run. They said, amen. Let it run, pastor. Let it run, preacher. And they were all excited. And he said, now, if this church is going to run, it's going to take some money. And they said, let it crawl, let it crawl. I want us to run to the glory of God. I want us to run and be everything God has us to do. If you tithe, and that's what you do, that's my baseline. I'm not, I know I probably just lost my blessing for the year because I said that. I'm supposed to do pray and do those things in secret. But I'm just saying, there's nothing, don't, don't become legalistic. With grace. And that sounds crazy, isn't it? You can become a legalistic grace person and start condemning people. So if the tithe is helpful, and I'm saying even under grace generosity, that is a helpful... If somebody says, where should I start? Well, I can't do ten. Can you do two? Well, I can do two. Can you start and be consistent with two percent? Yeah. I mean consistent. Yeah. And then maybe in three months you can do three, four. Look, that's between you and God. Hello? That's between you and God. Because if God doesn't have your heart, He knows your heart. He's not impressed whether you give 10. And by the way, you can't tithe 20%. Because tithe means 10. You can tithe 10 and give offering for 10. God's not impressed with some of the stuff that we think he should be impressed with. You know what he wants? He wants a heart. He wants generous, graceful people. Amen? All right, take your checkbooks out. No, I'm kidding. Let's pray. Let's pray.